Five ways that e-commerce businesses need to take better advantage of SEO in 2023 with Evie and Sari. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. Are you stuck in the past with your e-commerce SEO? If so, stay tuned to today's episode with a lady who has over 11 years of experience in tech SEO, content and social media, and has worked both in agency and client side. She's speaking at the next Brighton SEO and currently runs her own agency, focusing on a strategic search first approach. A warm welcome to the In Search SEO podcast, Evie Ansari. Hi everyone, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Evie. You can find Evie over at yvamedia.com. So today, Evie, you're sharing five ways that e-commerce businesses need to take better advantage of SEO in 2023, starting off with number one, be strategic and customer-centric in approach. Yeah, so um, when it comes to your kind of overall approach and strategy around e-commerce, it's really important to know like what your customers' objectives are. And that's not just, you know, their SEO objectives, but actually their broader business objectives so that you can build an approach around that. And I think what's really important around that as well is not just, you know, what the business objectives are, but who the customers are in the first place as well. So what are the different personas that the business is targeting and, you know, how can you build an approach around that to target those personas? Like what is the best kind of way to reach those people and get your message across to those people and not just get your message across, but actually convert those people into customers. And do you have any preferred way of defining personas? Because a business may have a a thought process in terms of what their ideal customer looks like. It doesn't necessarily match exactly who their customer is based upon their analytics. I mean, do you tend to look at marketing automation software? Do you like to talk to customers directly? How how do you go about that? Yeah, so I think defining who the customer is obviously very much sits with the business itself in terms of not just knowing who's actually currently coming to the business because that's that's great that's based on you know marketing data and all of that but who they're actually trying to bring into the business so that's not necessarily talking to existing customers but actually talking to the business about you know who is their product for what is it that they are trying to achieve with that product like what pain points are they trying to address And in terms of like actually defining that profile of customer, it's less about things like your kind of fluffy metrics that a lot of businesses worry about. Like, for example, all the things that are coming to my head right now are actually things they need to think about. (laughs) So I'll start there. So (laughs) things to actually think about would be like shopping habit, like what brands they interact with, what's their income level, where are they based 
that sort of thing, like really important um, demographical information. There might be things around like age range and gender. It might be less important for some products because, you know, you might actually have quite a broad range, but for other products, it might be quite important. So I think it's it's really important to just get really clear on what exactly that customer profile is that you're trying to target not the customer profile that's necessarily already coming to the business because it might not even be the right customer that you're trying to reach. That doesn't mean that you don't cater to that audience, but it's more about like niching into the specific audience that you're trying to attract to get really clear on your content and you know what it is that you're actually trying to say to that specific audience that you are trying to reach. And this, of course, is a, an episode in itself, and we could dive deeper and deeper into this. Uh, but moving on to point number two, focus more on UX. Yes. So I think it's become really clear that over time, Google's become more and more sort of focused on UX and making sure that, you know, the content is really valuable to the user, that the experience on the website is really valuable to the user. You know, we can talk all about the EEAT framework and all of that, because that obviously kind of very much aligns with um, the importance of UX. But essentially, without having great UX, you're going to have struggles around getting people to convert on your website. You know, if I go to a website and it takes forever to load, for example, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to leave pretty quickly because I haven't got all the time in the world to actually wait for stuff to load. So that's just one tiny area that, that you know, you can kind of dig into in terms of why UX is important. But I think making it really clear what it is you're you're wanting your customer to do on your page just helps actually get them to convert. Because if I don't know what I'm doing on the page, there's like 10 different calls to action and loads of different things for me to look at, I'm going to get really overwhelmed and confused. So just making it really streamlined and really clear, like what am I supposed to actually do on the page? Like Help me understand what I'm supposed to do on the page. And then I can actually go and do that. Yeah, I, I, the thing about UX is it's it's very difficult from an SEO perspective to measure the true impact of it on future rankings because you would think that search engines would look at the limited amount of time that people spend on a page and the fact that they're coming back to the SERP fairly quickly to look at other results instead. But it really is hard to to put a finger on it and to be definitive about how much that if at all, does impact your rankings. But at the end of the day, if your customers are having a poor experience, you have to trust your gut um, as, as an SEO as opposed to just rely on stats. W- would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I agree. I think there are certain parts of UX that you can measure, like, for example, the page speed stuff, right? Um, but agreed that certain things like, you know, conversion times and things like that. It's a little bit more difficult to put a finger on. So I think, as you say, trusting your gut and kind of just also a lot of the time aligning to your competitors and looking at what they're doing, especially if you're quite a small business and you've got a big competitor in the space, more likely than not, they've probably done some UX research. So you can go and look at their content and see how you can potentially leverage that journey on your own site. Yeah, it's a great point. And also looking at paid search results. If someone 
who is a competitor of yours is spending a lot of money on paid search. Looking at the landing page, it's likely that they've highly honed that landing page to be to, to be lucrative commercially, uh, to, to be profitable. So you can probably, I guess, from an SEO perspective, l- learn off paid search landing pages as well. Is, it, is that something that, that you would you would look at? Yeah, definitely. I think um, a lot of the time, actually, especially in e-commerce, the, the paid search landing pages are actually organic pages anyway. So, you know, if there is a business that has a lot of paid search invested in an organic landing page, then like, for example, a category page, let's let's say that, then, you know, there is definitely some kind of data or, or information that you can take from that to, again, leverage on your own site for sure. And point number three, learn how to compete in a noisy space. Yes. So this one, I would say, actually requires taking a bit more of a step back again. So um, at the start, we talked about, you know, the overall strategy and customer centric approach, etc. I think what's really important in terms of competing in a noisy space is understanding how different marketing channels integrate into each other. And I think this is what a lot of businesses really struggle with is how to integrate SEO specifically into the broader marketing mix. So, you know, there's so much data around SEO that we have available, like loads of things around um, user behaviors, search queries, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that data is always being used to then look at your broader marketing approach. So, for example, giving that data to the paid search team and helping them out in terms of expanding different areas to bid on, helping them understand where to push spend and where to pull back spend depending on um, organic performance. Um, And that's just one small area. You know, there are lots of different areas that you can look at more broadly in terms of things like social media and helping that team understand what content to create for the target audience or the audience that's following the brand. And even other things like much broader campaigns, like if you've got a big e-commerce brand, for example, and you're running TV adverts, helping on like that that team understand what kind of creative to put forward and what kind of messaging would resonate with the audience. There's so much data on the SEO side of things that you can share with the rest of the marketing department, essentially, to help you stand out and kind of tie everything together. Now, you mentioned the word content there. Your point number four is gain a better understanding of e-commerce content that works now. So what e-commerce content works best now? Yeah, so I think, you know, there's different formats, essentially, that, that businesses can use. And I feel that there isn't enough use of those different formats because essentially, you know, every person learns in a different way. So one person might want to read articles, one person might want to see a video, one person might want to see something bite-sized. So really, again, it comes back to looking at the audience and understanding like how they're interacting and engaging with content. And that's looking at, for example, things like your bounce rates on the content that's on your website, and then also looking at your social media to see who's engaging with what. But I think what's really important also is answering frequently asked questions. And that's such a simple thing, right? So 
especially when it comes to e-commerce, your customers are going to be asking loads of questions around your products, your shipping, for example, or, you know, things about your brand. For example, if your brand is sustainable, what are the fabrics that you're using or, or what materials are you using to be sustainable? All of that sort of stuff. So really being able to identify all those user behaviors through your keyword research, essentially, and then answering all of that through FAQs and essentially helping people get to an answer much more quickly than sort of trying to root through your website, you know, helping that sort of uh, content stand out through things like um, schema markup for featured snippets and things like that is really going to help that audience get to that content more quickly, essentially. And you touched on FAQs there as well, and it's certainly a great practice to ensure that all common questions that customers are likely to ask are available to find the answer for on your website. Now, are you? Uh, is it just as effective to have a big FAQ page with all the answers on that one page, or is it always better to try and answer a different question or a different page to optimise things from an SEO perspective? That's a good question. And I think this is a very cliche SEO response, but it depends. (laughs) Um, So I think for some businesses where there isn't a lot of specific FAQ information that might relate to like a specific category or product or the brand more specifically, it makes sense to have a broader FAQ page because in that case, it's kind of like, you know, you don't need to hit the customer exactly when they're going to be thinking about that question. It's more of a, they might have a question, here's a list of questions that they might have. But if they are searching through the website looking for specific products, for example, especially if it's quite a small e-commerce website and they have like, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 products, then it makes more sense to go specifically into the product page or the category page, or maybe there's a features page, for example. So I've got a client that's got features pages and it makes sense that, you know, you actually stick the specific FAQs into those pages because that's more likely where the customer might have the question. Um, And it will, as you mentioned, actually help optimize that page a bit more as well. Great. Okay. And point number five is learn how to scale your e-commerce SEO with AI technologies. Yes. So obviously when it comes to e-commerce, a lot of us SEOs use automation as such to create things like metadata and product descriptions and all of that. And traditionally what we've done in order to do that is use Excel and loads of different formulas in Excel to just essentially create like a a, a template, which we then plug different information into to quickly scale that information. But now that we've actually got access to AI tools, like for example, ChatGPT, it's a lot easier to just create a prompt and, you know, create a load of different product descriptions because you're not reliant on exactly the same template, essentially, that you just plug stuff into. This way, you can actually create different product descriptions in a very quick way to basically scale that that content creation. And this is especially important for, you know, e-commerce websites that have thousands of pages, but that don't have a big content team and don't have loads of resource to throw at constantly creating new information for products and and new metadata and stuff like that. So yeah, AI technology is 
really important for essentially scaling and, and bringing products to market more quickly, essentially. Oh, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? So I would go with internal linking. Now, some people might say, well, actually, this requires quite a lot of effort. But if you do this on a regular basis and on an ongoing basis as you're publishing content, it's actually not a lot of effort at all. It's just a case of essentially inserting internal links into your blog content, for example, to help basically boost the authority through the website and point those links to really important pages like your category pages or like an important product that you're trying to push at the moment. And I think, you know, it is so important and it's one of the things that actually gets missed quite a lot. And it does provide quite a lot of great results when you're pushing that authority through the website because it's not just stuck in one place on the website. You're actually, you know, telling Google these pages are important and give them a boost, essentially. Well, it's probably the most common answer for this particular question. So um, there must be something in that. (laughs) Superb. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Evie and Sari over at yvamedia.com. Evie, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com. <laughs>